Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. Having a guide dog is a life-changing experience for a visually impaired person in terms of mobility and independence. But have you ever considered the possibility of an animal being able to detect cancer in the body or being able to alert a diabetic to a hypoglycemic coma? Well, such a dog exists. And joining me now from charity Medical Detection Dogs is CEO Claire Guest to tell us more. Claire, thank you so much for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio. Now, tell us a bit about medical detection dogs. Well, the charity Medical Detection Dogs was set up following some earlier research that we'd done that indicated that dogs could smell human cancer. I mean, it sounds incredible, doesn't it? But we did a study in, in 2002 that was published in the British Medical Journal in 2004 And that indicated that dogs could be reliably trained to smell human bladder cancer from a urine sample. Now, the value of this work was sort of apparent straight away, but it took some time to sort of set up the charity and and, and actually get a a focus on the way forward. So the charity actually came uh, into being in 2008, and we have dogs that are trained specifically to smell human odour and detect diseases. Now, in fact, whenever we have any change in our health, there's a biochemical change in our body. That biochemical change causes a change in our odour, and the dogs are able to detect these changes in volatiles. They're called these smelly compounds, which uh, indicate that there's some uh, a difference. Do you know, it's so remarkable. And being a guide dog owner myself, I'm completely blind and lost my sight due to diabetes. Uh, So I know just how incredible, you know, an assistance animal is and and how life changing they can be. But you provide two different types of dogs. Now, as you said, one is the biodetection dog, which sniffs out cancer. The other is medical assistance alert dogs. Now, these uh, dogs in particular really appeal to me because uh, I am actually type 1 diabetic myself and I know these dogs can alert you to hypoglycemia how does this work that's exactly right so the information has come from our what we call our biodetection dogs these are the dogs as you quite rightly say they they sniff samples and say whether volatile patterns are present in these samples and they're used to improve diagnosis but we have our medical assistance dog arm and um, as you very well know with your with your guide dogs, so these are dogs that work alongside an individual helping on a minute by minute basis. Now what we've discovered is that with diabetes, obviously you have fluctuations in, in your blood sugar and I'm sure you, you have had many times when you know you're, you're trying to manage your blood sugars so that they are in a healthy range, so they're neither too high um, causing damage nor too low making you hyper glycemic what we've discovered is dogs can smell human blood sugar and i suppose it's not surprising you know some humans can smell a teaspoon of sugar in a cup of tea they can tell which tea's got the sugar in it a dog could probably smell a teaspoon of sugar in two olympic swimming pools they can go down to a parts per trillion so i suppose it's not surprising that dogs can smell our blood sugar and they know whether our blood sugar is at the normal level the healthy level and they know from smell whether it's too high or too low now, people who've lost their hyperglycemic awareness, I'm not sure um, what, what your situation is, but, you know, people um, that despite the routine blood tests get these rapid fluctuations of which they're unaware, of course, can benefit hugely from a dog warning them that these changes are occurring rapidly so that they can take on sugar themselves or take on more insulin in order to put themselves back into the healthy range. 
See, this is what frightens me, Claire, because as I've got older, that my mm-hmm. hypoglycemic awareness, it's not as great as it used to be. Now, mm-hmm. I've been diabetic pretty much all my life. But mm-hmm. there's times where, you know, I, I wasn't always blind. I, I mm-hmm. lost my sight at 19, which was 20 years ago now. And I know right. that in times where I've lived on my own, as a diabetic, I have run my sugars quite high because I've been so terrified of having a hypo on my own. Mm-hmm. And there's times now where, you know, I live with my husband, but but he's not around 24 mm-hmm. seven. Mm-hmm. You know, he's sure. usually out. We, we do different things at weekends. So, yeah. you know, I can be in a situation sometimes where before I know it, I'm in the middle of a hypo and I'm really, really struggling. And I think mm. a lot of diabetics listening to this would be able to kind of recognize what I'm talking about because mm. it's a terrifying mm. situation. But I, mm. I just don't understand why, as I've got older, the the alerts are becoming less and less. It seems to be quite common, particularly actually in individuals that have managed their diabetes as well as possible throughout their lives. Because from what I understand, and the clients that we work with would report this, that many of these individuals have worked really hard to keep their levels um, from going too high as, as often as they can. And of course, what that means is, isn't it, that you dip into these lows more frequently and your body just becomes less aware. I mean, the way I sort of try and describe it, um, and I don't mean this in any sort of um, detrimental way, but the way I try and describe it to people who have no understanding of this at all, is if you haven't had a, a glass of wine for a few months and you have one, you take a few sips and you can feel you can have a drink. Your body immediately says, you know, there's alcohol in that drink because you feel that sort of slightly fuzzy feeling that you get. But if you've had a lot to drink that week, you don't get any warning at all because your body takes a lot longer to tell you've had those couple of sips of wine. And I assume it's a similar sort of thing. Your body just gets less good at warning you that this is very significant change going on. But luckily, you know, dogs can pick it up really, really well. And it has this incredible sense of smell, which enables the dog to warn you as you're going low. So it isn't even that you have to be in hyperglycemia. You know, the dog will warn you when you're getting to about between 4 and 4.5 millimoles. So, you know, giving you plenty of time before you get to that horrible woozy you know not quite sure what's going on and how to then be able to help yourself without having to have a you know a scary paramedic call out and that's what makes the difference the fact that dogs can do it before before that stage and that's what's so incredible I know that um, a terrifying thing for many diabetics, including myself, is the fact that, you know, you do tend to run your sugars a little bit high because Mm. you're frightened of having these hypos. And the effect that has on the body alone is just staggering. I mean, I'm already Mm. blind, um, Mm. but, you know, it can affect the kidneys. It can affect Mm. amputation. It can affect the heart. There's so many different factors Mm. that you've got to look out for. So a dog Mm. like this is, is just absolutely incredible and an absolute lifesaver for for people like myself now we talk a lot about guide dogs here on the program obviously but um how is uh, a medical alert dog actually trained how would a dog detect that i was having a hypo so well all our dogs um are we're members of assistance dogs international which is very similar standards to all the guide dog programs that we're members of um, igdf so you work of course in terms of the assistance dog you're working to an actual standard so you know the dog you know would behave in a similar way if you know you're out and about in a public place and you know, the obedience etc but the actual task that the dog the dog does rather than with the guide dog be obviously making visual decisions um the medical detection dog is making these olfactory decisions 
And what we do is we collect odour, firstly from individuals having hypos. So I'm not saying, you know, when they're very, very low, but say when they're getting below, it's just before below 4.5. We collect odour from individuals and we collect breath odour. And we collect them on these little filters and then these filters go into the, the freezer. So when we're starting to train a dog, we get these filters out. And we're basically training the dog to take a real interest in this slightly unique odour. And as the training goes on, uh, when we've matched the dog, we then train the dog to recognise that change in odour in their new owner by collecting samples from the new owner as well. And in fact, when the dog actually is placed, you know, when you go through your first training phase, the dog, it appears almost as if the dog has seen a photograph of that person because in a way they have, they've seen an olfactory photograph. So they know when that person's blood sugars are smelling normal and they know when the blood sugars are smelling either low or high. The dogs are then trained. It's straightforward, actually, that if, if you smell a blood sugar out of range, then tell your owner, warn them, and go and fetch the, the blood testing kit. And then what happens is the person's made aware, they take their blood, and it isn't until their blood's been taken and the individual knows whether the dog's you know, correct that the blood sugars are out of, out of range and takes on other sugar or insulin, the dog then gets his reward. Um, and the dog knows he's, he's done his job. And the dogs sit very attentively while the blood test is being done. They sit and watch, and there seems to be a real understanding in the dogs that this is the essential bit to find out what's going on. So very much trained on the praise basis, just like a guide dog. You know, I find this so incredibly exciting as Mm. somebody that does have extremely bad hypos. And I know that, you know, there's times where being blind, I can't actually get the kind of wherewithal and the concentration Mm -hmm. to actually figure out what it is I'm looking for. I know that Mm -hmm. I've gone through to find my blood tester, but I can't remember Mm -hmm. it's my blood tester. You know, things like that. So it is incredible. Now, for me, I have to say, uh, it would be amazing if these dogs could be dual trained as guide mm. dog and hypo uh, assistance yes. dogs. Is there a possibility of that? There is, and we've worked um, on a on a pilot with um, um, guide dogs for the blind in the UK, and uh, we did successfully train the first dog. Which uh, sadly, the client is no longer alive, so she hasn't got a, a working dog. But we've done a second pilot with actually guide dogs of Ireland and have uh, a dual dog so this dog um some a lady sounds you know in a similar situation herself has a has a excellent guide dog who we've trained to alert her to blood sugar change as well now the only sort of slight areas we have to be a bit careful of of course is that if your dog is guiding you and is in harness you don't want anything to interrupt that clear guiding um and it's just about making slight slight changes to the way in which the dog works so that you know teaching say the owner to just stop occasionally and just check in with the dog to give the dog an opportunity to then say hang on i'm smelling your blood now you're low take your blood so it's just about changes slight changes in your routine if that makes sense to enable the dog to do his other job because of course when a dog's guiding he's taking that job very seriously and that's the job he's focused on so it's just about having sort of gaps just to say okay now can you smell my blood but the dogs love it and in fact you may have even felt this yourself and um, it is something that is reported by guide dog owners that have low, low blood sugars that there's a feeling sometimes when the dog is guiding that the, the way they're guiding is changing slightly and that's often because the dog is responding instinctively to the fact that he can feel your blood sugars are dropping and he's starting to become slightly anxious or you know slightly aware of it. 
um, and that may to you feel like the dog is not guiding quite in exactly the same way that he might and often that's actually a response to the changes in you so that's how we knew that these dogs would be able to do it and sometimes the dog's quite relieved to be able to say hey look I don't want to guide you anymore at the moment what I want you to do is sit down and have some sugar and you know that sort of um, ability in the dog to do that actually it, it adds to a, a closer and uh, an even better relationship. So how did that training actually work? Did the guide dog come to you or did you go to guide dogs when the guide dog was in training? I think I think under normal situations when we've spoken, we've spoken um, to guide dogs are blind, it would seem that the best way is probably that after the, the guide dog's had some preliminary training, before he's had his advanced training, the dog comes to us for odour detection. The one reason for that is that, um, you know, as I say, once the dog is guiding and really focused on the guiding, sometimes it could be difficult to get the dog to then use his nose. It sounds weird, but a bit like us, you know, if we're listening to something, we don't always taste something so well. You know, if there's been these studies, it's sort of you focus it on one sense. So it seems to be that actually to do the odour detection first and then do the advanced dog training, guide dog training, seems to be the best way of doing it. But that said, the dog in Southern Ireland was guide dog trained first, but he had started to do these anecdotal partial alerts that the owner felt she was starting to feel that the dog was, you know, she was starting to think, when I'm going low, I'm sure my dog's starting to behave slightly differently. So we were able to work on that, if that makes sense. And we were able to develop that so that the, the communication between the two of them became even clearer. And that's how we got this fantastic alert. But it's very, very feasible and possible for, for this to happen. And, and um, you know, it's all about, isn't it, finding a dog that enjoys the work which of course it is whether it's a guide dog only or a medical detection dog only you know these dogs that you get the right dog for the job they enjoy their job and they just enjoy this next layer of, of work it's natural in sense of you're using the dog's natural instincts so it's not because people sometimes worry you know is it fair you know is it fair to ask a dog even to alert um for someone you know 24 hours of the day and what we say is well if you're in bed at night and the dog's in the bedroom or the kitchen and somebody knocks on your door and it's three in the morning, do you expect your dog to bark? You know, <laughs> of course I do. You know, it, the, the knock wakes my dog up and then my dog barks. Exactly the same with odour. The dog isn't sitting there worrying about it, thinking, gosh, I wonder, you know, whether they're going to sort of, blood sugars are going to suddenly drop. But when they get that odour, they're like, yes, right, I know what I've got to do. Now, much like guide dogs, um, I'm sure that there's certain breeds that are more susceptible to picking up odours than others. Do you specially breed your dogs or are they donated? Uh, we do use donated dogs. We haven't got a breeding scheme ourselves because, you know, we're relatively small still. But actually, we do use um, some, some guide dog puppies. We've got very close relationships with guide dogs and um, we are able to purchase some of their puppies for our training scheme. And also, we do sometimes take the guide dogs that perhaps haven't made the grade and the older dogs that haven't made the grade because they would be considered perhaps too distracted for the visual task that they, they, they were being trained to do, by which I mean they're perhaps too nose too nose focused and of course for our clients that would have a visual impairment they would they would be fine so we we work very closely with the guide dog program and we have huge success actually with the loss of the dogs um that are traditionally used as guide dogs so labrador labrador first cross you know first cross retriever we also train some spaniels um and um we have some spaniel cross poodles as well who also work very well so we're looking for the the nosy inquisitive types 
Well, I tell you, I think uh, my guide dog, Lucas, is an extremely nosy and inquisitive and loves a good sniff. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. he's never sniffed out a hypo, but I'm sure... If, the... you ne- if you never noticed any sort of uh, difference in his behaviour that you can think of, any change at all. Funny, only when I've been working, he starts to... He's a very skippy kind of dog, but he yeah, appears yeah. a little nervous right, uh, yeah. if I ever go low in sugar when I'm out working him so I always carry something with me anyway Um, but I do tend most of the time to have something on me or have something before I go out and I I check my blood sugar so regularly Um, it's unbelievable but uh, you know it's so incredible I'm absolutely blown away that you know not only guide dogs can guide blind people around and make them independent but you know these dogs can also sniff out disease and detect uh, really serious life-threatening conditions because a hypo can can kill oh exactly exactly you know you're you're trying to balance i think that's what many people don't understand and also there's a bit of misunderstanding between you know type one and type two you know that, that people with type one they are literally walking a tightrope and they're trying to stay on that rope and you push it one way too far and you have all the horrible things that can occur due to high blood sugars but, you know, let it go too much the other way and, and could have a paramedic call out resulting in death. And I mean, it's working with individuals, our clients with type 1 diabetes, I can, you know, honestly, I have huge admiration for the way that they do everything they can to maintain their independence. You know, it's fantastic when you see a lovely working partnership because you get, you know, individuals that have just not been able to leave normal lives. And if, you, if you're, you know, we're saying by normal lives, go out and do things, you know, pop to the shops, go out in the evening, stay overnight with someone, you know, these things that they just weren't able to do. And of course, now they're, they're off doing these things. And it's just, it's just fantastic to see. And it's, it's what keeps me going. It's what keeps me passionate about this work. Oh, you sound so passionate about it. You really do, Claire. And obviously, you know, like guide dogs, these dogs are, are provided to their their owners at, yes. uh, you know, no charge, which is absolutely, absolutely amazing. You've provided 75 of these dogs so far. Yes. Um, now, how much does it cost to train one of these? Because I know a guide dog over the course of its lifetime will, will cost the guide dog association about £50,000. Is it much for an, yeah. a medical alert dog? It, it's, a bit, it's estimated to be around for us about 25,000 at the moment and for the lifetime and of course you know some of that is because being a small organisation we haven't got quite the overheads that guide dogs would have in terms of you know their fantastic breeding scheme and and, um, all the other things that have gone into the research and development of making a fantastic guide dog which we benefit from I say by, by buying some puppies but you know it is a large amount of money but then when you're looking at somebody's independence for their lifetime wow and, and not being rushed into hospital I mean gosh it's a, it's a drop in the ocean isn't it and um, I speak to medics who would have clients perhaps coming in with two or three times a week having a serious hypo and uh they would not that it should come down to that. They would be costing, you know, up to a thousand pounds a week in paramedic callouts. So it's easy to see that with individuals really, really struggling, that these dogs would make a huge difference within within a few months. Very, very much so. And of course, you you rely solely on donations and challenges that people do mm, for you and, and fundraising. Uh, you get no help from the government at all. So obviously, you no. know, if people do want to find out more on how they can donate or how they can even volunteering. I mean, by mm. way of volunteering, we know here as a radio station for blind people, we rely on our volunteers, as I'm sure mm. you do in many Absolutely. ways, too. How Absolutely. can people find out more information? 
obviously we've got information on our website for those that are able to, 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 to go onto the website. Um, we have um, visits here actually as well. You know, we, ha we have open afternoons if people live locally enough or would like to come and see us because then we can, you know, talk a bit more. And, and certainly if there's any individual that does feel that perhaps they have a, have a guide dog that, or are perhaps applying for a guide dog and would, you know, would like to consider a dog doing both for them, then obviously get in touch with ourselves or the guide dogs for the Blind Association. And we speak closely to each other. We work closely together. So we could certainly, certainly help there. But, you know, as you quite rightly say, we're always looking for people with innovative ways of supporting us and making money. And actually, in many ways, it's just spreading the word as well. You know, we're still relatively new. I suppose the one disadvantage about, um, and, you know, you would, I'm sure, uh, be able to comment much more than I would on this. But if somebody has a visual impairment, uh, people sort of understand what a guide dog would do for you you know it's sort of quite it's, it's logical isn't it people understand when you start talking about a medical assistance dog or a medical alert assistance dog and you're sort of talking more in detail about you know very complex conditions like diabetes it can take a bit of time for somebody to understand why would you need a dog why would a dog help you know it's not a sort of immediate message because you have to gain some understanding of the condition so you know just having more people out there who understand how valuable these dogs can be and the huge effect that a well-trained assistance dog can have on somebody's life. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a great message. Without a doubt. And it's, it's so important to get the word out there and to get the message out there. I mean, I know as a guide dog owner, you know, I still have to explain to people, uh, you know, the way a guide dog works. And mm -hmm. I think people think that you just, you know, kind of whisper in its ear, you know, <laughs> at times and, and they know. Yeah, where, sure. and, and it's so, it's so, so difficult to, you know, as an organisation to get a message out there but you're mm -hmm. doing such an amazing job and it's been so incredibly interesting talking to you today Claire oh, it really you. has thank you so much for joining thank us sure. here on RNIB Connect Radio and uh, the best of luck for the future thank you very much indeed for more downloads like these visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts <laughs>